Welcome to Angry Americans. Welcome to episode 70. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. And if you're not angry, you are not paying attention. Wear a mask. But it's hard to breathe. Have you ever had to wear this fucking noose? Notice how you can't really understand me? I have to do this to be able to fucking talk in this thing. Fuck! Don't get me started on this ball of fun. You're gonna be fine. Stop being a little beta bitch. And to you other geniuses who are like, this is America. I have the freedom not to wear a mask. It's called a dress code, Kevin. The 7-Eleven also requires you to wear a shirt. I've been overseas for two and a half years in Japan, not anywhere fucking dangerous. I'm a pogue. And I finally get back to America just in time for it to shut down. And you idiots are making it shut down longer. It's a piece of cloth. That's Timmy Burns, a 24-year-old Marine who just finished serving over two years in Japan. He's an aviation supply specialist with Marine Aviation Logistics Squadron 12. And that TikTok video went viral for good reason. He's understandably angry. The Marine Corps makes Timmy Burns wear a neck gaiter and an M50 gas mask in the line of duty. And as a disciplined Marine, Timmy Burns does it. That's what Marines are known for. Discipline. And for a long time, that's what Americans were known for. And Marine Timmy Burns is the voice of all angry Americans right now. He understands what America is lacking right now, most of all, is discipline. It's pretty simple. Discipline is often what defines good leaders from bad ones. Discipline is what defined generations of Americans who beat the Nazis and won the Cold War. Discipline is one of the hardest parts of military service, of public service, of parenting, of leadership. And it's one of the hardest parts of the pandemic. Keeping a mask on, even when it's 95 degrees outside. Washing your hands, even when you've already done it 20 times already today. Keeping your distance from people you love so you don't send them onto a ventilator. Discipline is doing what needs to be done even if you don't want to do it. Discipline is hard, but it's required. Whether you're a Marine, a teacher, a parent, a kindergartner, a congressman, or if you're president, and it's what's lacking right now in far too much of America. Discipline. Wearing a mask is not about inhibiting your freedom any more than wearing a shirt is inside a 7-Eleven or wearing body armor in Afghanistan. It's not inhibiting your freedom. It's creating it for you and for others. It's about discipline. And discipline is that one thing that our country lacks right now more than anything else. And what President Mayhem lacks more than any other president in history. The discipline to wear a mask the discipline to tell the truth, the discipline to sacrifice for the greater good, for the long term, for the future, for the victory. 
the discipline to put in the work, to stay focused, and to not drop the ball. This season, I'm everyone with the case of the dropsies. I just dropped my phone. Can you help me out? Hey, honey, I might have dropped the match. I did. If I could show up on game day, imagine what could happen the rest of the week. Trump drops the ball daily. That's part of why he's President Mayhem. And maybe the single biggest reason of all when it comes to the pandemic especially. His lack of discipline has failed us all. And a lack of discipline has already shut down baseball after only one weekend of games. And as the NBA and NHL open this week, and the NFL looks to open soon, they may all be shutting down. And maybe for good. Because discipline often means waiting. In the Army, we called it battlefield patience. Having the patience to wait until the conditions were right, the night was dark enough, the target was prepped enough, the enemy was weak enough. Battlefield patience requires discipline. And that may be what Trump lacks most of all. Command climate is contagious. And President Mayhem has created a White House, a country, a command climate that lacks discipline. And that lack of discipline is spread all across America. And it needs to change now. Well, come on, stop whining. Your kids are soft. You lack discipline. Well, I've got news for you. You are mine now. You belong to me. You're not going to have your mommy slam behind you anymore and wipe your little douches. Oh, no. It's time now to turn this mush into muscles. No more complaining. No more Mr. Kimblev to go to the bathroom. Nothing. There is no bathroom. Well, there is a bathroom. So go to the bathroom if you need to, of course. Discipline doesn't mean being stupid and peeing your pants, but it does mean turning it up, America and turning that mush into muscle. It means toughening up, and toughening up means sacrifice, and conquering your laziness, your boredom, your exhaustion. Discipline is choosing between what you want now and what you want most. It's overcoming weakness. Discipline is driven into every American service member in basic training. The discipline to keep your uniform sharp. The discipline to clean your weapon so it's ready when you need it. The discipline to wear your helmet and your body armor so you don't die. The discipline to be safe and to be smart. The discipline to not be a reckless cowboy so that you don't get injured, leaving the entire unit more vulnerable. Every American who lacks discipline not only puts themselves at risk, they put everyone at risk. From the grandparents, to the kid in their town with an autoimmune issue, to our guest from last episode, 98-year-old national treasure Norman Lear, to our guest this episode, the great Montel Williams. You know Montel from your TV for the last few decades. He's an Emmy Award-winning TV host and a frequent contributor on cable news and on Fox. He's a Navy and Marine Corps veteran. He's a political independent, an outspoken patriot, an activist, a philanthropist, and an entrepreneur. Montel's also got multiple sclerosis, MS. He's been fighting MS 
and advocating for others with MS ever since he started seeing symptoms when he was at the Naval Academy in the 1970s. Time and time again, MS has hit Montel hard. And three years ago, he was hit with a stroke that almost took his life. But he overcame it. He survived. And he's fighting for others. Because he's disciplined. The discipline is what got Montel out of the ghetto in Baltimore and on to the Naval Academy and to serve as an officer in a submarine, to win Emmy Awards, and to a 17-year run as the host of his own television show. When you wear a mask, you show discipline. When you wear a mask, you protect Montel. And he's joining us in this episode to sound off about how discipline has shaped his life, and how the lack of it is jeopardizing his life now, and the future of our country. I'm really fearful of the fact that we're sitting on the precipice of the, the of the downfall of America. I mean, I, I I never thought in my entire life I would ever say that, but when we look at how extreme we are as a society, and we've pushed ourselves into individual corners, and can't wait for the bell to ring so we can go out and punch someone from the uh, from the other corner in the face, and that person from the other corner is an American. Mm. I fear that we are are on the verge of literally kissing what was best about America goodbye. Montel Williams is a passionate advocate for cannabis reform, for MS, for veterans, and an entrepreneur who's lived a rich life. And he's fired up about the state of affairs in America. For decades, Montel was one of the most well-known and one of the few African-American hosts on television a graduate of the United States Naval Academy, and a Navy and Marine Corps veteran, Montel sounds off on Black Lives Matter, Trump, the Russian bounties on U.S. troops, and what he sees as the most urgent threats in our domestic and international security. It's an inspiring, candid, and informative conversation with a leader who pulls no punches. Montel Williams. It's the host of the Montel Williams Show. And now let's be blunt with Montel like you've never heard him before. If you care about America, you'll appreciate this conversation. And if you're down, it'll lift you up. If you're up, it'll keep you up. And if you're sleeping, it'll wake you the hell up. Montel joined me via Zoom from where he's locked down in Miami, Florida, the new global epicenter of the pandemic. We got into his health, whether or not we'll see another black president, what he has in common with past guest Rosie Perez, the future of independent politics in America, and the medical innovations that are changing his life. Montel is a man who knows about discipline. And he knows through discipline comes freedom. I believe in two things, discipline and the Bible. Here you'll receive both. Put your trust in the Lord. Your ass belongs to me. Your ass belongs to all of us, especially if your ass is not attached to a face that's wearing a mask. But it's discipline that eventually freed Andy Dufresne from Shawshank. And it's discipline that will free America from Trump and help America defeat the virus. Discipline can inspire. It's the discipline to give up a Friday night at a concert for a decade of Friday nights with your family. It's the discipline to hold off and not swing in a bad pitch or 
to push open sports too early because we're bored. The discipline to postpone that wedding or the party so you don't infect your family. The incredible discipline Navy vet Chris David showed as he was beaten and doused with pepper spray by federal troops in Portland, Oregon. It's the inspiring discipline that John Lewis showed on the Edmund Pettus Bridge at the March in Washington and throughout his entire heroic life. It's why so many Americans, including President Mayhem, admire our military and why every American can't join and why Trump himself embodies the opposite of the military values and the army values of leadership, duty, respect, selfless service, honor, integrity, and personal courage. And it's why he doesn't even have the discipline to lie effectively. He's not even trying to claim he listens to the military anymore. Remember this always. I don't care what the military says. He doesn't care what the military says because he doesn't agree with them. They have the discipline. They want to change the names of bases named after Confederate traitors. They don't want to ban trans people. They don't want to pull troops out of Germany to benefit Russia. They don't want bounties on their heads from Putin. They don't want to be sent to the Mexican border or into D.C. and Portland and Albuquerque and Chicago to squash peaceful protesters. They don't want to be used as props or toys. They have the discipline that Trump doesn't and the discipline to put country over politics. And that's why he doesn't care what they have to say, whether it's the young Marine in that video earlier or the former Secretary of Defense Jim Mattis or former Secretary of State and General Colin Powell. They are all what Trump is not, disciplined. And if Joe Biden can stay disciplined, and stay in the damn basement and not get baited into running around the country to keep up with Trump and stay alive, he'll win. And if we're all disciplined enough to focus on Operation Free America, we can survive this flurry. I laid out a strategy in our July 4th special episode with Willie Geist, and I called it Operation Free America, the plan to face Trump. And it requires discipline. Block him, disable him, reduce him, slow him, indict him, impeach him, defeat him, replace him, arrest him, and move past him. And put a new president in place. One who can lead by example. One who can instill a new culture in America of discipline. If we can do that, we can survive this devastating chapter in our country's history and start to rebuild for the future. But before we can get there, and before we can break it down with Montel, and before we can focus on some very special helpers that have a very special level of discipline, we've got to have the discipline to push through the issues that matter. Even when they're hard to hear, even when we're tired, we must maintain our discipline. Because there are some issues that have me angry, have others angry, and should have everyone angry. And we have to have the discipline to control that anger, to harness it, and to turn it into positive impact. Despite President Mayhem's lack of discipline and lack of focus, the summer of mayhem requires the discipline to skip the chain smokers concerts, shut down sports if necessary, and delay opening schools if needed. And it requires a diligent focus 
on the big three firestorms dominating our summer and requiring our highest level of discipline. The virus, the Black Lives Matter movement, and the 2020 election. All three require our total and complete focus and discipline. And nothing requires more discipline right now than the virus. Our lack of discipline as a nation has put us in an awful spot. But we're not alone. 17 million cases worldwide now, equal to the entire population of Syria or the Netherlands. At least 665,000 people are now dead worldwide. That's almost the entire population of the city of Detroit dead. Worldwide, every country that lacked the discipline to stay shut down and reopen too soon is now seeing a summer boom of cases. Outbreaks are happening in several countries that eased their lockdowns and travel restrictions. Victory declarations anywhere were way premature. Cases in Spain are up sixfold. France and Germany are seeing cases pop. Australia's new daily cases are up 11-fold in the last month. Japan and Hong Kong are seeing outbreaks too. And Belarus President Alexander Lukashenkov, who resisted the coronavirus-related lockdowns and suggested drinking vodka can treat the virus? Well, he has the virus. In April, he defended his decision to keep national borders open and allow soccer matches to continue with live audiences claiming that no one from Belarus would die from the virus. And since then, 543 people in his country have died and over 67,000 have tested positive. So despite his bullshit, and despite extensive testing in Belarus and here in the U.S. and inside my own home, vodka does not kill the virus in the U.S., Belarus, or anywhere else. And no country has been more out of control, more reckless, and less disciplined than the U.S. Thanks to President Mayhem and a wide range of undisciplined national and local leadership failures, America is still, sadly, strongly at the top of the very worst list in the entire world. And even our neighbors to the north are shutting us out. Our beloved Canadians are calling the U.S. the biggest Petri dish in the world. And they're joking about building a wall over there to keep us out now. And you can't blame them. The U.S. has more than 5.5 million cases, and over 1,100 Americans are dying daily. Death counts are rising in 23 states and Puerto Rico. And Texas, California, and Florida are all on fire. And all three states have now leaped past New York in total cases. And more and more people in and around the White House are testing positive, too. National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien is the latest inside the Trump inner circle to test positive. And as more and more people around him are testing positive, Trump continues to travel and landed in Texas, where he was greeted by Ronnie Jackson, the retired rear admiral now running for Congress and the former White House physician. Jackson was among those not wearing a mask himself. The same Jackson that once said Trump is in fantastic health and only weighs 239 pounds. Trusting a doctor like Jackson who doesn't wear a mask is like trusting a dentist who has no teeth. 
And if you're in and around President Mayhem, even if he doesn't have the discipline, I suggest that you take it yourself. And do not stand close to him. Because there are two kinds of state leaders. One, the kind that are trying to contain and defeat the virus who have the discipline to win the war. And the second group that has no discipline and is trying to kill the rest of us. And the hits keep coming. A $600 a week federal unemployment benefit is likely to lapse at the end of this month. The Federal Reserve has left interest rates near zero as the economic pain persists. And Target is announcing that it will close its stores on Thanksgiving, saying this isn't a year for crowds, you think? And Google will be keeping its employees home until at least next July. The first major U.S. corporation to formalize this kind of extended timetable in the face of the virus. The move will impact nearly 200,000 full-time and contract employees at Google. And it's not just tech companies that are shutting down. Just a few days after a delayed opening day, the Miami Marlins baseball season opener was canceled due to a breakout. At least 14 people, including players and coaches, have tested positive. Positive tests are also continuing at college campuses, which for the most part aren't even open yet. But more than 6,300 coronavirus cases have been linked to U.S. colleges. And guess where they are? The University of Texas at Austin, University of Central Florida, University of Georgia, University of Washington, University of Florida, University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center, and the University of South Florida. Florida, Texas, Georgia, Washington, all states that have been hit hard. And the White House refuses to impose the discipline necessary to encourage schools to close. Why is it not safe to hold a Republican convention, but it is safe to reopen schools? Yeah, the um, schools are a different situation when you have children who, um, as the CDC guidelines clearly note, um, are not affected in the same way as adults. Um, we can make certain arrangements like social distancing in schools and follow uh, the CDC guidelines that have been laid out um, and try to, they're the best world guidelines I referenced. Um, we can get our schools up to the, the best place we can get them in, especially if we're given additional school funding, the $105 billion that was mentioned that we would are keen to see um, in a phase four. Um, so it's a different scenario when you have packed adults in the room versus these students that we can um, make precautions and take measures to protect. That's White House Press Secretary Kaylee McEnany, who says the schools are a different situation. Yes, they are a different situation. They're kids, and we need to give them the discipline to keep them safe. And what we're seeing in baseball teams and college campuses are exactly what could happen at schools nationwide if they reopen too soon. If you haven't heard it already, go back and check out our pod with Anya Kamenetz from episode 57 in May about parenting in a pandemic. Anya is the fantastic education reporter for NPR and an expert on all things education and the pandemic. And schools need discipline. They also need guidance, leadership, and support. The principal from my son's public school this week sent an email trying to address all the questions from parents. She shared they're supposed to get two thermometers to do temperature checks as students and teachers enter the building. Two, for an entire K-8 through school in New York City. And they're supposed to be getting two ionizing backpack sprayers for custodians to disinfect the building. Two, but they're supposed to get them. They haven't gotten them yet. What Trump has done to educators is a total travesty. 
He's sending them into battle with no ammo, no body armor, and barely any food. It's a national disgrace, and it's on him. And thanks to him, we're all now, especially our kids, Riders on the Storm. Riders on the Storm. Riders on the Storm. We're all riders on the storm, and nobody's been riding that storm more than Dr. Fauci, a man who demonstrates discipline every day, despite being attacked, disrespected, and receiving even death threats. And Fauci had the honor of throwing out the first pitch at the Washington Nationals game. And maybe it was 2020 in a nutshell. Dr. Anthony Fauci to throw out the first pitch. Anthony Fauci. Well, Dr. Anthony Fauci now, not in front of a large crowd, but certainly in front of a national television audience. Uh, I would have thought, given just how big a fan he is of baseball, that that would have been something. But look, the man has been so busy, that is not something he probably has had time to practice. I'm speechless, Carl. (laughs) I'm speechless. It was not a good pitch, and it was very disappointing, but I'm okay with that. I'm fine with him focusing on pitching against the virus instead of pitching against the Yankees. And throwing out a first pitch is hard. I've done that. I've thrown out the first pitch at a Major League Baseball game, and it is one of the most stressful things I've ever done. I threw out a first pitch at a San Diego Padres game, at Petco, and at Dodger Stadium. And it was stressful and hard, so I feel for Dr. Fauci. But President Mayhem did not. And he said after watching Fauci that he was going to be throwing out the first pitch for a New York Yankees game on August 15th. You know he was dying to show up Fauci. Good thing for him, there would have been no loud crowd in New York to boo him, and it would not have been pretty to watch. It would have made Fauci look like Nolan Ryan. But maybe it would have given Trump something else to obsess over for a little while instead of destroying our country. But he actually had not been invited to pitch by the Yankees. The team and the White House staff were surprised by the announcement, and Trump soon canceled, which spares him further embarrassment, spares him from cursing my Yankees, and by August 15th, baseball may be canceled anyway. But you know what's not canceled? Paw Patrol, Paw Patrol, we'll be there on the double. Whenever there's a problem, Brown Adventure Bay, Ryder and his team of pups. Paw Patrol. But that didn't stop White House Press Secretary and professional propagandist Kaylee McEnany. He's also appalled by cancel culture and cancel culture specifically as it pertains to cops. We saw a few weeks ago that Paw Patrol, a cartoon show about cops, was canceled. The show Cops was canceled. Live PD was canceled. Lego halted the sales of their Lego City police station. It's really unfortunate. It's unfortunate, she said. It's unfortunate that she doesn't have the discipline to tell the truth. We talked about this in episode 63 with my friend Wayne Smith. There were some coming after Paw Patrol, and I love Paw Patrol, and that had me and many other people angry. But contrary to the lies from McEnany and others, they did not succeed in canceling Paw Patrol. That is a lie. And Paw Patrol was quick to correct the record. They tweeted, no need to worry, Paw Patrol is not canceled. So have no fear, Chase is on the case. And they are not canceled, not yet anyway. And there's no need to shut down Paw Patrol. 
or maybe even cops, but there is good reason to shut other things down, including, dare I say, football. They're having a hard time opening baseball. How the hell are they going to do hockey and football when you have to slam and breathe all over each other all game long? Just spare us the pain now of opening and closing yet another sport like they've done to so many business owners nationwide. Just save us the pain and the drama. So we'll watch the news to see if sports get shut down and some news to share here. The great Chuck D of Public Enemy will be joining me on this show at some point soon. So stay tuned for that. Chuck will be here. He has new music out and he has lots to say. Another guy who has a lot to say that I recommend you follow is Andy Slavin. He's an ex-Obama healthcare head. He's a helper and he's a host of the podcast In the Bubble. And he laid out that if we have the discipline We actually can beat this. We can do it. I'm going to quote from a couple of tweets he put out this week. He said, we can virtually eliminate the virus anytime we decide to. We can get back to a reasonably normal existence, schools, travel, job growth, safer nursing homes, and other settings. And we could do it in a matter of weeks if we want to. Take New Zealand with its fancy curve and life back to normal. Why can't we? Not fair, you say, it's an island nation. Okay, what about Germany? Not an island nation, large, growing diversity. Don't like that comparison. What about countries that have been in trouble? Here's Italy, France, Spain, countries that have had it reasonably bad the same way we did. In fact, pick virtually any country you want. But don't tell me the U.S. can't take action if we want to. The good news, and it is good news is that we're always four to six weeks away from being able to do what other countries around the world have done. Let's say we threw the kitchen sink at COVID-19 in the U.S. Let's say we started right now with the goal of being open for business in October, meaning schools, in-person voting, sports, everything. If we did everything, what would happen? Well, let's define the kitchen sink, and Andy lays it out. He says, one, start with universal mask wearing. We didn't do this in March and April, so let's chalk it up to faulty instructions. We know better now. Two, keep the bars and restaurants and churches and transit closed, all the hotspots. Three, prohibit interstate travel. Four, prohibit travel into the country. No one's going to let us into their country now, so that shouldn't be too hard anyway. Number five, have hotels set up to allow people with symptoms to isolate from their families at no cost. Number six, instead of 50% lockdown, which is what we did in March and April, let's say it's a 90% lockdown, meaning most Americans who couldn't stay home in April because they were picking crops or driving trucks or working in healthcare would stay home with us. That means the economy would take a several week hit and we would need extended unemployment insurance. It would be a tough few weeks, but we could still do things, be outside, enjoy nature, gather safely with friends. Our grandparents who lived through a decade-long depression, a six-year world war, or whatever hardship they faced in their country, would tell us we could make it. Andy continued, the cost of this has been and continues to be six to eight weeks of your life. This would disrupt the rest of your summer. But of the 4,000 weeks of your life, it's a fraction of a percent so that many more can have many more weeks. And sure, some people would say it's an encroachment on their freedom. 
But on the way to Walmart, they had to drive 30 miles an hour. They couldn't park in a handicapped space, and they can't just eat the cheese balls in the store. Their rights can't harm others. These people are freer than they would be anywhere on the planet. We proudly allow people to march, protest, or wear a Nazi flag as a scarf that doesn't match their outfit. The light at the end of the tunnel is there, and it would be blinding. And Andy went on to cite a man who cured smallpox, and he called the greatest expert he knows, Larry Brilliant, who put it this way. We are facing a really bad coronavirus. It's just a virus. It's just a sack of RNA surrounded by a bunch of fat, and it has no intentionality. It is not trying to kill us, defeat us. It is programmed to infect us. Um, we are smarter than it is. Our science is better than it is. And if it was just our science and the goodwill of American people, absent bad governance, we would have defeated it already. Uh, I don't mean we would have eradicated it, but we would have been much further along into kicking it into the dustbin of history, which is what we will do when we gather our wits about us. That is what we will do if we're disciplined. But too many Americans are not. They can't contain and restrain themselves. And that lack of discipline is resulting in a lack of freedom for them and countless others. And there's something else that loves that lack of discipline. Loves it. Yes, the stupid. The stupid loves people who don't wash their hands, don't wear their masks, don't social distance. The people who don't do what is needed, the people who lack discipline. And they are many, especially in government and especially at the VA. Almost nobody else covers this, but I'm going to continue to do it. Because it's important, far beyond the veterans and military community, the VA is a benchmark for the rest of the country. And it's not only a backstop and a potential cavalry, it can also be a source of the pandemic and make the spread worse. And VA's daily stats have continued to be inconsistent. Early morning numbers of active cases are as much as 10% lower than the evening reports in the same day. But of the numbers we've got, they show that deaths are up 13% in the last two weeks and up 34% since mid-June. Deaths have now surpassed 2,000 inside the Veterans Affairs Department. Hospitalizations are still down, but active cases are still up and fluctuating and may be leveling off, but it's way too early to tell. And meanwhile, here's the situation with testing. They've still only tested 456,000 people nationwide. In comparison, New York State has tested 5.7 million. And in June, the VA averaged about 4,300 tests per day. That's 4,300 tests daily at the VA nationally versus 62,000 tests in New York State every day alone. And the VA hospitals with the most active cases are the ones you'd expect. Harlingen, Texas, San Antonio, Texas, Orlando, Florida, Miami, Florida, Atlanta, Georgia, Houston, Texas, Columbia, South Carolina, all reporting more positive cases. And the most underreported news in America, nearly half of all cases at VA are black and Hispanic veterans. This is huge and important news. 
So black and Hispanic veterans make up almost half of all VA COVID cases, although they account for just 23% of total VA patients. VA warned us that these vets could have higher risk months ago, but they refused to provide any data. Now we've got it. As of mid-July, 34% of vets who tested positive at VA were black, and 13% were Hispanic. About 46% were white, and 7% were some other race or unknown. The data was limited to veterans tested and treated at VA medical facilities, so it's only a slice of the about 22 million veterans nationwide. Now, however, the VA has claimed that the VA mortality rate does not differ by race, though they, of course, did not provide any data. And they also haven't provided any information about why they're doing so little testing. Representative Connor Lamb asked the VA this week why, after five months of the pandemic, then the VA being awash in federal cash, the department can still not provide COVID testing to all veterans or its own staff. VA officials said it's complicated, it's hard, and they'll get back to lawmakers about it. Again, that's what they always say. But it's clear they don't have the discipline and the leadership to get it done. But Congress finally had the discipline to hold hearings on state veterans' homes this week. We've been covering this for months, and an important hearing on state veterans' homes actually happened. Vets have died in these homes all across the country, 76 in Holyoke alone. But Holyoke is just one example. In New Jersey, 82 veterans died. At a Pennsylvania home, 42. But the VA does not control the state veterans' homes. They're run by their respective states, but VA is responsible for oversight, inspection, and federal grants to those homes. And an estimated 40% of all COVID deaths in the U.S. have occurred in long-term care facilities. But we don't even know how many deaths have actually occurred at the state veterans' homes, because many of them are not even required to share infection and mortality information to the CDC or the VA. 157 facilities are proactively sharing the info, but not all of them. And the entire situation has been a debacle lacking in discipline. Here's House Veterans Affairs Committee Chair Mark Ticano of California. The pandemic has exposed the critical importance of strong oversight and ongoing monitoring of the quality of care and patient safety at nursing homes. It is frustrating that VA has been slow to address recommendations GAO made more than a year ago. And I'm told that there has even been some resistance on the part of the department to implementing GAO's recommendations. As it stands now, I have to wonder, How many lives could have been saved at state veterans' homes during this pandemic if there had been stronger, more consistent oversight on the part of VA? Many, many more than we'll ever know. And coming up, we'll talk to the man who knows about the VA, who knows about the Department of Defense, and who knows what it's like to fight for veterans, for patients, and for change, the fired-up Montel Williams. And I'll ask him about these issues and if he'll run for office. I talked to him inside Florida, where Governor Ron DeSantis continues to contend for most undisciplined government leader in America. And he's been a prior winner on this show. And he's not alone. So many in government lack discipline and lack integrity, including Representative Louis Gohmert. Remember him representing the first district of Texas? We talked about him in episode 65, our Pride Month special with Charlotte Clymer. I knew when we recognized him, we'd have to talk about him again. Here he is back in May in a room with Trump and other leaders with no mask on. And I do want to uh, advise our media friends before they write stories about how we didn't wear masks and uh, we didn't 
possibly socially distance adequately, that you saw to it that we had tests and that nobody in here has the coronavirus unless it's somebody in the media. So the only reason we would wear masks is if we were trying to protect ourselves from you in the media, and we're not scared of you. So uh, that's why we can be here like this. So thank you for amazing job you've done. I told you we'd be back to him. And here is that moment, because Louis Gohmert, who refused to wear a mask, has now tested positive for coronavirus himself. He's tested positive for the virus. He was scheduled to fly to Texas on Wednesday with President Trump, and he tested positive in a pre-screen at the White House. Gohmert continues to be an example in bad, selfless, undisciplined, destructive leadership. And Jake Sherman at Politico actually got an email from one of Gohmert's own staff. And this is what it said. Jake, thank you for letting our office know that Louie tested positive for coronavirus. When you write your story, you can include the fact that Louis requires full staff to be in the office, including three interns, so that, quote, we can be an example to America on how to open safely. When probing the office, you might want to ask how often people were berated for wearing masks. That's his own staff. And of course, Gomert has now announced he's also taking hydroxychloroquine, the unproven drug that has been touted by Trump and Secretary Wilkie and tested on dying veterans. But it underscores Gomert's unique style of leadership, which has been recognized on this show. And that recognition is nonpartisan. And leadership failures, stupidity, and a lack of discipline are truly nonpartisan. And few are less disciplined than Democrat from New York City and Mayor Disaster himself, Bill de Blasio. And almost nobody saw this. But Bill de Blasio's new Twitter photo not only has him in a mask, it has two military service members in uniform standing behind him. It's an entirely inappropriate politicization of troops in uniform. It's the kind of stuff you see from Trump all the time. Troops are not political props. De Blasio should take it down and apologize immediately. He should also take it down because it's a weakly and uniquely pathetic de Blasio attempt to look hard. And it's why I say impeach de Blasio. But he's not the only one who's acting out this week and showing a lack of discipline. Hundreds of maskless churchgoers attended a service in California in defiance of statewide mask and social distance mandates. This was flagged to me by longtime listener Jay Baines on Twitter. He said they just keep nominating themselves for Asshole of the Week. That's hundreds of people in California led by a religious group called Hold the Line. They did not get approval from local health officials or the mayor in Redding, California, and they did it anyway. Also noteworthy this week is Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas, who describes slavery as, quote, a necessary evil. This is a guy who we'll talk about again, I'm sure, and often, but in his ongoing effort to prevent U.S. schools from teaching about the 1619 Project, which was an amazing initiative by the New York Times that reframes American history around the date of August 1619, when the first slave ship arrived on American shores. But Tom Cotton of Arkansas has picked this time in history to say that slavery was a uniquely necessary evil. It was not a necessary evil. As Hakeem Jeffries and others noted, it was a crime against humanity. But despite all this, Tom Cotton is not the most worthy of recognition this week. That special recognition, that special lack of discipline, 
goes to Representative Ted Yoho of Florida. Yoho this week verbally assaulted and disrespected New York Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And a reporter from the Hill newspaper was there to hear it. In a pathetic statement on the House floor, Yoho refused to apologize to AOC or even mention her name. And AOC described it vividly and responded. About two days ago, I was walking up the steps of the Capitol when Representative Yoho um, suddenly turned a corner um, and he was accompanied by Representative Roger Williams and accosted me on the steps right here in front of our nation's capital. I was minding my own business, walking up um, the steps, and Representative Yoho put his finger in my face. He called me disgusting. He called me crazy. He called me out of my mind. Um, And he called me dangerous. And then he took a few more steps, and after I had recognized his, uh, after I had recognized his, his comments as rude, he walked away and said, I'm rude. You're calling me rude. I took a few steps ahead and I walked inside and cast my vote um, because my constituents send me here each and every day to fight for them and to make sure that they are able to keep a roof over their head, that they're able to feed their families, and that they're able to carry their lives with dignity. I walked back out and there were reporters in the front of the Capitol and in front of reporters, Representative Yoho called me, and I quote, a fucking bitch. These are the words that Representative Yoho levied against a congresswoman. The congresswoman that not only represents New York's 14th congressional district, but every congresswoman and every woman in this country, because all of us, have had to deal with this in some form, some way, some shape, at some point in our lives. And I do not need Representative Yoho to apologize to me. Clearly, he does not want to. Clearly, when given the opportunity, he will not. And I will not stay up late at night waiting for an apology from a man who has no remorse over calling women and using abusive language towards women. But what I do have issue with is using women, our wives, and daughters as shields and excuses for poor behavior. Mr. Yoho mentioned that he has a wife and two daughters. I am two years younger than Mr. Yoho's youngest daughter. I am someone's daughter too. My father, thankfully, is not alive to see how Mr. Yoho treated his daughter. My mother got to see Mr. Yoho's disrespect on the floor of this house towards me on television. And I am here because I have to show my parents that I am their daughter and that they did not raise me to accept abuse from men. Now, what I am here to say is that this harm that Mr. Yoho levied, it tried to levy against me, was not just an incident directed at me. But when you do that to any woman, 
What Mr. Yoho did was give permission to other men to do that to his daughters. He gave, in using that language in front of the press, he gave permission to use that language against his wife, his daughters, women in his community. And I am here to stand up to say that is not acceptable. It is not acceptable. And you have to respect AOC. I often disagree with her politically, but I continue to be impressed by her focus, her integrity, and her discipline. She's strong, and she takes no shit. And Yoho is weak. He's soft. He lacks integrity and dignity and discipline. And he's rude and disgusting. And he can't even have the dignity to apologize. And of course, he refuses to wear a mask. So he can have some company. Alongside Georgia Governor Brian Kemp, South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem, Acting Secretary of the Navy Thomas Modley, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, Senator Rand Paul, Vice President Mike Pence, the mobs of morons taking guns to the Michigan Capitol to protest stay-at-home orders, VA Secretary Robert Wilkie, the guy pushing hydroxychloroquine on dying veterans on Memorial Day, the looters after the George Floyd murders, the radicals who want to eliminate the police, Paw Patrol and the Wire, Mayor DeSantis. Master Bill de Blasio, Florida Congressman Matt Gates, Congressman Louie Gohmert, Vanilla Ice, Tucker Carlson, Peter Navarro, Missouri Governor Mike Parson. You are now all joined in your incredible lack of discipline by the unique, disgusting, and noteworthy lack of discipline by Representative Ted Yoho of Florida. I drive really slow in the ultra fast lane while people behind me are going Yoho lacks integrity and discipline, and unfortunately in Washington, he's not alone. The stupid has infected leaders all across the country and destroyed discipline, even in a place you'd expect to find it, inside the Department of Defense. The Department of Defense continues to be led by the most undisciplined secretary in the cabinet, the man they call Jesper. Since July 1st, cases of coronavirus have risen more than twice the rate of growth nationwide. And the new DOD budget is $740 billion. Billion. Can we just recognize how much money that is? Holy shit, it's almost a trillion dollars. But as attacks on the press by Trump and Secretary Jesper continue... That big budget doesn't include a few measly million dollars for Stars and Stripes. Shockingly. More coming up, but funding for Stars and Stripes, the independent newspaper for the military that started in the Civil War, was not included in the 2021 National Defense Authorization Act that passed. And it passed, containing no language to reverse the Pentagon's decision to strip $15.5 million of an annual subsidy that the editorial independent news organization receives. So Esper and the leadership didn't defend Stars and Stripes and the free press, but they did continue to defend Russia. Trump still won't condemn the Russian bounties. And when McEnany was asked about it by Kristen Welker at NBC, this is what she had to say. Did the president raise the issue of Russian bounties 
on the lives of American troops during that phone call? So as you know, that intelligence is unverified still to this day. There are dissenting opinions within the intel community. I won't get into the president's private discussions with a foreign leader. Um, I was not on that call, but that intelligence is still unverified. But rest assured, our president will always stand with our military and protect them against any and every foreign adversary. Rest assured, every foreign adversary except Putin and Russia. And Trump himself was asked directly, finally, if he talked to President Vladimir Putin about reports of bounties on U.S. soldiers in Afghanistan. I wanted to ask if you did bring up the reports of Russia having bounties on our soldiers in Afghanistan. We don't talk about what we discussed, but we had plenty of discussion, and I think it was very productive. Very productive for who? Where is the message to the world that anyone who pays bounties to kill American troops will be held accountable? Where's the tough guy president now? And here he is with Jonathan Swan from Axios. It's been widely reported that the U.S. has intelligence indicating that Russia paid bounties or offered to pay bounties to Taliban fighters to kill American right. soldiers. Right. You had a phone call with Vladimir Putin on July 23rd. Did you bring up this issue? No, that was a phone call to discuss other things. And frankly, uh, that's an issue that uh, many people said was uh, fake news. Who said that it was, was fake a news? I think a lot of people, uh, if you look at some of the wonderful folks from the Bush administration, uh, some of them, not any friends of mine, we're saying that it's a fake issue, but a lot of people said it's a fake issue. There was well, we had a call. We had a call talking about nuclear proliferation, which right. is a very big subject, where they would like to do something, and so would I. We discussed numerous things. We did not discuss that now. And you've never discussed it with him. I have never discussed it with him. No. I have never discussed it with him. That says it all. Congress must subpoena him and subpoena McEnany and subpoena Esper and make them answer to the American people and our military families about this issue. We cannot let it fade away. Remember, Trump lied, troops died. Trump lied, troops died. And we've talked at length on this show about how President Trump has shown a lack of discipline in his politicization and abuse of the military. And this week, a Maryland National Guard major named Adam DeMarco bravely testified in the House to push back and underscore the issue. The warnings were conveyed using a megaphone near the statue of President Andrew Jackson, approximately 50 yards from the demonstrators. From where I was standing, approximately 20 yards from the demonstrators, the announcements were barely audible, and I saw no indication that the demonstrators were cognizant of the warnings to disperse. At approximately 6.30 p.m., the Park Police began the clearing operation led by the civil disturbance units and horse-mounted officers. No National Guard personnel participated in the push or engaged in any other use of force against the demonstrators. As the clearing operation began, I heard explosions and saw smoke used to disperse the protesters. That major did something special, something brave. He spoke out, and others will do the same. Because now it's official... Secretary of Defense Jesper has announced that the U.S. will withdraw 11,000 personnel from Germany, taking our U.S. troops there from 36,000 to 24,000. 5,000 will be repositioned within NATO countries, and 6,000 will return to the U.S. And maybe, if President Mayhem has his way, that 6,000 will return into American cities. Talk to me, so you can see. Because protests are continuing all across America, and many are driven by the incredible discipline of the protesters. And it's got to be noted, 
Many, most of the cops and federal agents have shown discipline as well. Not all, but most. But that hasn't been the case in Portland. And there's news now that the federal troops are finally leaving Portland. But Trump's committed to send as many as 75,000 federal agents into U.S. cities. And my friend General Mark Hurtling added some context to that on Twitter. So that means 75,000 federal agents into U.S. cities. There's only about 8,000 U.S. soldiers in Afghanistan. Only about 11,000 soldiers in the 82nd Airborne. Only about 30,000 soldiers serving in all of Europe. But Trump wants to send 75,000 into U.S. cities. And that could include cities like New York that continue to see unrest and righteous outrage. That sound of the NYPD dragging a protester into an unmarked minivan in Manhattan. And Gothamist had the story. The individual who friends described as an 18-year-old trans woman named Nikki was grabbed by the group of plainclothes officers at 25th Street and 2nd Avenue. Video shows a man in an orange shirt marked Warrant Squad helping to push a woman into a silver Kia minivan before driving away. Police said they were assaulted, but at least three people at the scene who spoke to Gothamist disputed that narrative and asked whether the decision to execute that arrest might damage the NYPD's reputation. Mayor de Blasio insisted that the incident was anomaly and that was not indicative of a larger problem within the department. De Blasio continues to consistently be on the wrong side of every issue. He has no discipline. And New York City is falling fast. That's true. It's not just spin from Trump. In part, because de Blasio's got no discipline. And right now, the third fire that's raging across our summer of 2020 continues to require new levels of discipline from all. So the conventions are just two weeks away, and Trump has finally canceled his convention thing in Jacksonville. And a new poll shows that Biden is tied with Trump in Georgia. The national polls don't matter. Watch the state polls in places like Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Florida. And they're going to drive who Biden picks as his VP. And it looks like he will finally choose his VP nominee the week of August 3rd as the VP sweepstakes rolls on. still not clear who he'll announce as his running mate, but it's safe to assume the news will come before the start of the Democratic National Convention on August 17th. Frontrunners have ranged from Ambassador Susan Rice to Tammy Duckworth to Elizabeth Warren to Val Demings, the former police chief in Orlando and congresswoman from Florida. All have had their own time in the spotlight over the last couple of weeks. And we'll find out soon who will be asked to have the discipline to run this campaign alongside Joe Biden and contend for the office. Now, my money's still on Kamala Harris. I think she's the odds-on favorite to be the nominee. She's got the profile. She's got the toughness. She's got the discipline. She's got the campaign machine. And she checks all the boxes that Biden wants. So that's where my money is. It's on Kamala Harris. But we will find out. Have the discipline. Stay focused. And stay tuned. All 
our new president, hopefully, and vice president will need to demonstrate tremendous discipline and encourage it among all Americans. And discipline is a trait among all America's helpers from the beginning of our nation. And it's most urgently needed now. We need to look for the helpers, especially now in this greatest time we'll ever see in our lives for helpers and for heroes. Helpers are coming from all backgrounds and protesters are coming from all backgrounds. But one group has a unique and strong level of discipline. Detail! They're called the Wall of Vets. And Navy veteran and Chris David, the guy who they've called Captain Portland, who was beaten by agents in Portland, has now inspired a movement. The Wall of Vets have a mission statement. They describe themselves as vets and military families from all branches who swore an oath to defend the Constitution, an oath that never expires. They've committed to support peaceful protests and people who are legally exercising their constitutional and civil rights. They've committed to stand as a shield between them and those who would violate those rights. They're not trying to change the narrative of the protests they support. They help make their message heard by showing their support. They will support and follow the lead of the local organizers. They do not condone violence, the breaking of any laws, rioting, or looting. They fully support BLM, LBGTQ+, and equal rights for all. So veterans across America are standing up to protect the rights of protesters. They have the federal discipline that so many of these federal troops don't, and too many of our police don't. Our veterans are here specifically to support the, the uh, rights of the protesters to protest. That's the only thing we're here for. That's Marine Corps veteran Dustin Obermeyer talking about the Wall of Vets. They're protecting the protesters. They're protecting the values of our country, and they're making good trouble. The kind of good trouble John Lewis talked about and inspired. My mother, my father, my grandparents, my great-grandparents always said to me when I asked them questions about the science, they said, white waiting, colored waiting, white men, colored men, white women, colored women. They said, don't get in trouble, don't get in the way. But I was inspired to get in the way I was inspired to get in trouble, good trouble, necessary trouble. And I think young people and people not so young have a moral obligation and a mission and a mandate to get in good trouble. Good trouble is what we need more of and what the Wall of Vets are creating right now. You can join them. Check out the hashtag Wall of Vets and you can find them. They have the integrity. They have the discipline. They are heroes and they are helpers. Veterans have always been a key part of every protest movement in American history, all the way back to George Washington. They can, will, and should be part of the protest movement again now. They have the discipline, just like our guest in this episode, Montel Williams. Montel knows about pain and about how to endure it and continue to drive on. He was the first black Marine ever selected to the Naval Academy Prep School 
to go on to graduate the Naval Academy and become a commissioned Naval officer. He's a guy who always brings a special fire, a fire that burns in his heart, in his soul, in his words. He understands righteous anger and how to turn it into positive impact. Montel serves on the board of the Fisher House Foundation and the Ann Romney Center for Neurological Diseases at Brigham and Women's Hospital. He's been the host of Military Makeover, a special home improvement series that airs on Lifetime and the Armed Forces Network. He's a New York Times bestselling author. And during his 17-year talk show career, he hosted more than 3,300 episodes and interviewed more than 36,000 guests. And it's discipline that's guided Montel through all of it. Angry Americans continues our groundbreaking focus on the fighters on the front line of the three storms pounding our country. The virus, the protests, the election. Montel is forever a Marine, forever a naval officer, forever a fighter, forever an American, and an iconic, angry American. Montel's a guest that shaped America's past, is shaping our present, and will definitely shape our future. He's a leader that always brings the four eyes that define this show, integrity, information, impact, and inspiration. Welcome to a discussion about sacrifice, grit, determination, and the fighting spirit of America. Welcome to a conversation about discipline. Welcome to Angry Americans, Episode 70. Ladies and gentlemen, angry Americans around the country and around the world, welcome to another powerful, inspiring, important conversation with a man that I just love talking to. I've been honored to get to know over the last couple of years. I am constantly inspired by, I think he brings some of the best energy in America, even though he's a Navy guy, uh, the great and powerful Montel Williams, who's joining <laughs> us on Angry Americans. How are you, sir? Thanks so much for having me today, Paul. Really, really good to be here with you, my friend. Uh, I was trying to think back to when we met. I think we met, got to be over a decade ago in yes. the veteran space, right? Do you remember where Easy, exactly? Easily over a decade ago. And I'm telling you, I don't remember because I know I spoke at one of your first events. Yep. But we had met before that. Could it have been at a Fisher House? It could have been. Yeah, it might it have, could been. have been. A, it could have been at a Fisher House event, you know, because I know you're very good friends with Ken Fisher and so am I. And we're, you know, I'm, I'm a board member of Fisher House and, uh, you know, I've been working with them diligently for years. And I think we met at a Fisher House event fundraiser, maybe. And then we carried on ever since. That might be it. That might be. It. I think it's one of the things I want to get into with you, Montel, because I think sure. folks in the military community know about your military background, but maybe the civilian world and broader world may not. One of the many fascinating, interesting parts of who you are. You got, you were talking about it before we started. You got to tell people about the shirt you're wearing. Because oh, you well, you got to know. It yeah. says the words fear right there, but that fear represents fear to goop, baby. No, the Naval Academy, United States Naval Academy, class of 1980. I, you know, I'm dating myself right now, but you know, for a lot of people out there that don't know, I entered the military. I'm a, I am a true no kidding Vietnam vet. I came in in 1970. 
four, really never said 73, I signed on in a delayed entry program after graduating from high school. I entered the Marine Corps as an enlisted man, went through back then the pre-congressional investigation uh, uh, boot camp at Paris Island um, in 1974. I uh, got meritorious promoted out of boot camp to uh, PSC. Uh, my original MLS was uh, 2800. I was a communications electronics guy. But because of my meritorious promotion, I got sent out to school, which was at that time 29 stumps out in the middle of the desert. I um, got shifted over out of the school program and put into a true paneler position because they were short. And I got meritorious promoted again to Lance Corporal. And then I got picked to uh, selected to go to the Naval Academy Prep School. Um, and I entered the Naval Academy Prep School. I put on E4 the day before I, I did a lateral transfer out of the Marine Corps into the Navy to go to the Naval Academy. I went through the Naval Academy uh, and my degree was in general engineering, got a minor in international security affairs. My language at the Academy was Chinese. Um, and it's only important because right before graduation, unbeknownst to me or the U.S. military, I suffered my first bout of MS, but nobody knew that. Nobody yeah. back then in 1970, 19, you know, 79, 1980, MS was a disease that was characterized as a disease of Northern European women or Northern people of Northern European, Northern European women and was really diagnosed primarily about 100% in women. Yeah, I was really hoping you could share this because I, I think it's yeah. an inspiring part of your story. You you found out or you started to experience symptoms of MS when you were in the Naval Academy, right? I was at the Naval Academy. Yeah. And I tell you what happened. It's really really bizarre. We got you know uh, back then you can check the records. They could check the records. Um, you know, the class of 1980 in the military or at the Naval Academy was the last class to receive our pre-commissioning immunizations by the gun. Oh, because boy. what happened was the first. 100 guys that went through that line, we got an overdose of diphtheria typhoid in the gun. It immediately sent me into the hospital. I went, I, I, I went into some symptoms that nobody could explain. I was seen at Walter Reed, Bethesda, Johns Hopkins. Um, I went to just, just an immediate crazy MS bout. Now, let's say this very importantly. Yeah. The shot didn't cause MS. I probably had the gene because I am, you know, my mother is biracial. Her mother was from Northern European descent. Um, I'm the first person in my family lineage to have a neurological disorder. But the extreme shock to my system from that shot overdose, you know, probably elicited the immune response that I had that actually triggered MS. But nobody could figure out what it was. Wow. I literally, this is 12 weeks before graduation, man. You know, after I busted my ass for four years trying to get out of that place to get on home in my life. And as a matter of fact, when I graduated, um, I was supposed to go into Marine Corps air. But unfortunately, my bout left me half blind in my left eye. So the military put me on a hold. I'm really the first person in the history of the Naval Academy to walk across the stage to receive, receive their diploma, got to throw my hat in the air, but I wasn't commissioned that day. Normally what happens, if you could put on medical hold, they don't give you your diploma until you right. actually graduate. Right. Or actually leave. I got my diploma. I was commissioned. So now all of a sudden, the Navy's got me in this really weird, weird, uh, you know, category. I literally graduated, uh, I think it was May 10th, maybe May 15th. I was put on medical hold. I was commissioned into the rank 
of midshipmen. Now, just so you understand, midshipmen is a wartime rank. Mm-hmm. So I'm one of the only people to actually carry that rank and get paid that rank half an ensign's pay for the next six months until they finally figured out that, you know, things weren't going to straighten out. So I got commissioned in MPQ. You know that that is. It's not physically qualified. And because I'd lost vision in my left eye, the Marine Corps wouldn't take me back because you have to have correctable vision to 2020 to serve in the Marine Corps, even with classes. So mm-hmm. since I didn't, they offered me two jobs. One was supply corps and the other was special duty intelligence officer, cryptological officer, because I had Chinese language background. So I said, Psh, I'm not going to be a supply corps officer. Psh, I went to China, went and, and took the MPQ as a uh, special duty cryptological officer. But what's crazy about that, my friend, is I was supposed to be not physically qualified for a line position. I ended up getting 600 days at sea, 300 of those, uh, approximately 300 of those days under the water and the rest of those on the water as a direct support cryptologist. Because once I graduated, once I, I got commissioned and I picked that, I ended up going out to DLI as the Defense Logistics Agency or Linguistics Agency as a Russian linguist. So I took Russian at the DLI and then went into direct support. So I, you know, I fought the Russian bear for, you know, my next nine years of active duty, which was really kind of crazy, especially now that we have a, you know, a Russian kiss ass. Um, you know, it, it really spits in the face of all of us that, that work so hard and put our lives on the line doing missions to collect data and to, to, to thwart what's happening today. I'm glad you I'm glad you laid that foundation because it's really, I think, going to shape our conversation in a lot of different ways. Um, and, and, and you're you're the master of communications and your ability to summarize that I think so quickly <laughs> and succinctly is part of the reason why America's loved you for, for so long. But let me ask you, Montel, a question I've been asking everybody. Um, you know, you've been very public about your, your, your MS and, and your entire journey, but let's take a step back. Where are you now and how are you? How have you been dealing with this pandemic? You know, where in the, in the country are you and, and how are you doing? Well, I'm actually coming to you physically from Miami, Florida. So I'm coming right now from the epicenter of the pandemic. Yeah. And it's an epicenter because we got a dumbass who is the governor of the state who's kissing another dumbass's ass that's, you know, allowed this thing to perpetuate the way it has here in Florida, refusing to close bars and things until, you know, recently and really being about as ignorant as he possibly can as people die. And more and more people die. So I'm a little angry about that. But because, I mean, right here, dude, I, I got to I stay inside. Mm-hmm. I literally, you know, my wife is right now down at our pool in our building, which the pool deck area is open because she's down and getting some sun. But I don't walk out of this room, out of, out of this apartment without putting, you know, a mask on, gloves on, you know, glasses on to keep myself from possibly putting myself in harm's way because I do have a compromised immune system. You know, I take medication that compromises my immune system almost every day. So, you know, I got to really be very, very careful. Um, Where am I with MS? I will tell you, uh, Paul, it's very, very interesting. I've been working on an initiative now for the last really uh, almost nine and a half years. It's an initiative. It's a, it's a, a medical device. It's called a PONS device, a portable neuromodulation device which recently received from the FDA a category of a breakthrough medical device uh, 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 standing. And they got that because of this device's ability to help with 
Number one, the device is already approved right now in Canada, FDA approved in Canada, has been treating patients in Canada for now the last three years with PTS, with, sorry, with traumatic brain injury, mild to moderate for balance and gait. Very recently received this FDA approval for, or FDA, sorry, category as a breakthrough medical device for MS. I've been using this device now for the last 10 years, and it literally is the reason why I think I've done as well with MS now for the last 10 years. Um, it's a device that literally sends a signal. I'll tell it to you very quickly. It's called a PONS device, portable neuromodulation device. It sends a signal through the tongue, which is the tongue is one of the only organs in our body that has two cranial nerves. Those two cranial nerves connect in the back of the brain, in the PONS area of the brain, send a signal back through the brain that helps to put the brain, and we've now been proven through you know, peer-reviewed studies, to put the brain in a plastic state to help the brain find pathways around damage. So I've literally been working on a device where we're working really hard, trying our best, and very recently, within, you know, I think, very, very short order, um, we should get full FDA approval. We should have gotten FDA approval three years ago, but you know how our FDA is. It's really mm-hmm. kind of crazy. But So we have a device that was made here in the United States of America, created at the University of Wisconsin. I helped Puts, move this, forward, this device forward. We ended up getting clearance for the device in Canada. We're about to, and we've been working on getting clearance for it in Australia, in the EU. We can treat soldiers all over the world, but we can't treat soldiers right here in the United States for something that we could actually be, be benefiting them with immediately. But, you know, that's how we are. And, uh, you know, I've been using this device myself and uh, continue to use it. And uh, it's really kept me on the, on a really good path. It's, it, it has, I believe, and this is me talking because now we are proving this with the FDA, but it has literally slowed down the progression of my disease and kept me in, um, you know, a rare fighting form. Uh, I, that 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 whole thing with the tongue blows my mind. <laughs> I gotta tell you, yeah, it's, hearing it's, that for the first time, and I'm sure folks are like, "Wait a minute, what?" Like, so you know, I, again, I, I love talking to you because you can pack out. So I want to talk about DeSantis. I want to talk about politics. I want to talk about how you've really been an advocate for uh, a lot of survivors, right? On 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 on, on MS, you've been an advocate for veterans. You've been an ad- advocate for medical cannabis. Um, but I don't even know if you are able to consume adult beverages, as we say in the military. But another question we ask of all our guests on Angry Americans, Monta, what is your drink or, or cocktail of choice? Well, you know, I'm going to tell you something, my friend. And this is, I am not a teetotaler. I am just a realist. Yeah. I take a particular medication that if you read what it says on the warning label is that alcohol consumption can exacerbate adverse reactions at the injection site location. Mm. So since my diagnosis with MS and since my, uh, one, one, I think two days after I started taking this particular medication, I stopped drinking. Now, when I say I stopped drinking, I have had in the last five years, I've had maybe a sip of champagne uh, on New Year's Eve um, champagne would be, if I was going to be a drinker again, would be my drink of choice. But let me back up. Now, when I was in the Navy and I was actually on board submarines, my drink of choice was the brown liquor, my man. I was a mm-hmm. scotch drinker and was, you know, you know, a single malt scotch drinker. And if I were going to go back to drinking tomorrow, it would be a fifth of scotch sitting on that table in there. But I, I woke up one day after a submarine mission, you know, we back in the day, 
you know, we used to, and I, I won't go to, I, I, you know, I don't know why, man. I still feel like I am, though I'm not constrained by security uh, regulations, I don't, I don't believe in talking about, you know, what I did on active duty. Because uh, I used to say security constraints preclude me from discussing anything I did while on active duty. However, you know, I used to do, you know, some pretty serious submarine missions that used to culminate in pulling into back then Holy Lock, Scotland, and of course the home of Scotch. So, you know, after, you know, 90 days at sea without anything to drink, you know, I, uh, you would pull into Holy Lock and, you know, you and five or six other people would go out and each person would sit down at the table with a Scotch, with a, with a fifth of Scotch and didn't leave the table until that fifth was gone. (laughs) So, uh, you know, I, I was, uh, I was a pretty heavy drinker back then for a while. And then I stopped, but you know, so scotch so, and champagne. Scotch and, and champagne. Now, you will, you, well, well, scotch will fit well into the show. You'll be happy to see where we end the conversation. And I think the only other person in the entire entirety of this show who said champagne was Rosie Perez. So you oh, and Rosie you Perez, maybe when, when, when the pandemic is over, we can get all our guests back together. And you and Rosie can can share a glass of champagne. Have you ever met Rosie before? I've met Rosie before. We'll like maybe at a boxing match or something. I think Rosie did. Rosie did my show years ago. Did she? Yes, way way back. I think you know maybe after a. Oh, it was it was it, was it do the right thing? I can't remember which movie she was in with Spike Lee. Uh, but yeah, she did my show way way back. So I, I want to talk to you about so many things, but I, I want to maybe ask you Montel to talk about. Um, this moment in America, right? You've been at a really amazing intersection point throughout your life in, in the national security space, in the media space. You've worked on Capitol Hill. You've traveled around the world. Can you break down, uh, given that background and given your, your wealth of experience, this moment in America, your thoughts on Trump, where we are right now, and maybe the next couple of months ahead, what you see and, and what you want to see. I just want to give you a chance to just go with the ball and, and run wherever you want. But I think, you know, what, what, what's your take on where we are at this really critical, important moment in time, Montel? I'm really fearful of the fact that we're sitting on the precipice of the, of, of the downfall of America. I mean, I, I, I never thought in my entire life I would ever say that. but when we look at how extreme we are as a society and we've pushed ourselves into individual corners and can't wait for the bell to ring so we can go out and punch someone from the, uh, from the other corner in the face. And that person from the other corner is an American. Mm. I fear that we are, are on the verge of literally kissing what was best about America. Goodbye. Unless we wake up, And I see some hope in the fact that the youth of America and this next generation of America seems to want to overcome this and continue to move forward. But I think we've literally put ourselves in a place where we backed America into a corner that's going to take us 10 to 15 years to get out of. Unfortunately, you know, I'm hitting one of those ages where, you know, I don't know if I've got a good 15 years left. I mean, I probably should. I hope I do. You know, if I were to, you know, uh, listen to the stats that were put out by prognosticators who believe that African-American men who have, you know, MS have a 15% less or 15% shorter life expectancy than we would normally have, then I should have been gone already. And I'm not gone. But I hope I'm here to see America literally live up to its birthright 
of being the true land of the free and home of the brave. But right now we seem to be the land of the enslaved by mind and the home of the coward. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I never thought I would say that in my life. You know, I, I like you and so many others have, you know, put our hands in the hair and we said it with all the vehemence of our heart that we do solemnly swear and affirm to support and defend the constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. But we're living in a time right now where those who claim to take that oath, whether it be Congress or the Senate or some of our other elected officials, really spit right on the hand when they take it because they know they don't believe it. Mm. And they are people who do solemnly swear and affirm to support and defend anything that can make their bank accounts higher and make their lives better and make sure that they can have a legal right to hate and really be as vile against our fellow man as they can be. And that's really what bothers me right now. And I'm praying and hoping that people who watch your podcast and who really believe in the theory that we had way, way back of trying to build a perfect union. I hope those people understand that this perfect union could be so fleeting that by the time you wake up, you'll be, trying to figure out how quickly you can get to a DLI and take a Russian class mm. or take a Chinese class. Mm. Mm. To, uh, building on that point, Montel, um, you understand the national security dynamics. You've been on submarines. You've studied you know, the foreign languages that are right now at the forefront. Um, we've been talking on my show a lot about the bounty gate story, you know, the, 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 the story about Russians paying bounties to kill Americans and Trump's now it's been weeks, still hasn't responded um, can you he refused down, two days ago. He yeah. refused two days ago to even bring it up and lied and said, we don't talk about discussions that I have with foreign leaders when that's a bunch of crap, because we know that every time he talks to a foreign leader before this, he would put out, you know, some sort of a memo, at least trying to talk about what he said. He's kicked the translators out of the room. He's kicked some of the other people who are consultants out of the room so he could do the conversations by himself. How dare you say out of one side of your mouth that I truly am the best thing in since sliced bread when it comes to our soldiers. And then out of the other side of your mouth say, I don't give a damn if people put bounties on their head or people give the, our enemy weapons to hurt us. I don't care about that. Come on, man. You know, and the fact that there are people out there who, I'm sorry, Paul, who wear uniforms that still support this butthead. And remember, let's go back and remember, this is a, punk ass who took pride in himself of being able to lie and get a deferment about bone spurs. Give me a break. Mm -hmm. Refused to put a uniform on, but now enjoys playing with the little army man that he was probably playing on, playing with them on his bedroom floor when he was a kid, knocking them over and plucking them and throwing them and burning them. You know what I mean? Come on. Yeah. I think, and I think you're going to act like this guy really believes in the uniform really believes in that oath that he took with his hand on a Bible that he probably never read before he put his hand on. Stop. What, how do you break down Montel? I'm with you on that. Of course. How do you, how do you break down? Um, you know, I, I've talked a lot about the politicization of the military and now he's, you know, deploying DHS troops into places like Portland. Um, can, can you go a bit deeper into what you think about how our military and our civilians are being pitted against each other, right? Like he, he's turning up the volume. You're a guy who, in, in, you know, in, in many ways, you were at a really important intersection 
of, of understanding race in this country. You touched on issues on your show that a lot of people didn't talk about. For a long time, you were one of the only African-American hosts on television. You know, you were breaking ground, but also forcing conversations, some of which were uncomfortable. You know, what, 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 what do you see right now? And, and how do you yeah. break this down to include the Black Lives Matter movement? What, what are your thoughts on, on where we are on all that, Monto? You know, I think, you know, I'm an enigma in a sense because, you know, my entire life, I've, you know, if, if we, I, I hate labels. I hate this idea of Republican, Democrat, conservative, liberal. I'm not yeah. any of that. I'm an independent. I look at the issue in front of my face. I do the research and I make a decision based on what I find. Okay. It's really disturbing to me that I think the last time that we saw troops in neighborhoods, on U.S. soil, wearing uniforms that didn't have their names on them, really taking aim at brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, aunts, uncles, and cousins, was during a civil war. Hmm. I mean, think of a time when Americans put troops on the ground in the United States of America to fight against their brother. We've had cases that go before the Supreme Court about soldiers who have followed unlawful orders and people who are people who are federal employees who follow unlawful orders. I I can't for the life of me, I, I tell you something, it disturbs me. I, I try to turn change the channel on the television when I see Federal troops, like, you know, what, about a week ago, that Naval Academy grad who was walking up to the line and he said, all he asked was, do you, why don't you support the oath you took? You know, I do solemnly swear and affirm to support and defend the Constitution. And they beat him. Yep. Man, it brought tears in my eyes. I, I was taken so far back, I didn't know really how to even respond to myself. You know, it was like I had three brain cells in my head that were, were fighting each other, you know, yeah. going back and forth and beating each other up, going, well, he shouldn't have been out there, but then he should have been out there. Yes, he should have been there. There's no reason why he shouldn't have been there. You know, the first tenet of our Constitution is the First Amendment. The First Amendment says get freedom of speech. And well, we're going to send people out there to beat people into silence? We got a president who seems to admire seems to, you know, lord over the idea of being an oligarch himself, of being, you know, a tyrant who believes that he has the right to send people out to beat American citizens. And he does so without showing any empathy whatsoever. He does so without out even showing any concern for protecting the Constitution, he's trying to just protect his own ideas. You read his own words. This is a guy that during his upbringing prided himself on being able to go and try to strong arm minorities who were laid on rent. This is a guy who prided himself on being able to say as racist the things that he wanted to say. And let's, you know, I'm not talking about just the N-word. I'm talking about just to be as racist as he could be. Right. He prided himself in this. Yet, Paul, no matter what we do, what we say, 80% of the Republicans in this country 
still back him. Why? Because if you take a look at the bank accounts of all those Republicans, since they, this clown's been in office, their bank accounts have gone up. Yeah. This has been the fleecing of America. That's what nobody's really even talking about. The fact that, you know, what was it? I think it was Lyndon Johnson said, you know, the best thing you could do is tell the poorest white man that he is better than the best black man and he'll let you put his hand, put your hand in his pocket and empty it out. Something like that. That's mm-hmm, paraphrasing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But Donald Trump seems to believe that. Yeah. Make sure you can find an enemy that those who now have permission to hate will hate along with you. See, I think that's what this guy has done. He's given license to hate. He's given license to being able to say you're disgusted with your fellow human, your fellow American. And let's just get this crap straight. You know, if in fact we ended up under communist rule or under Russian rule, (laughs) You think that you have it bad right now? Cut me a break. But people are too blind to see because they're so blinded by finally, I get to hate people. I get to to say what I want to say. I get to call people names. I get to do this with impunity. Yay. Really? Mm. Well, Mm -hmm. let's remember, it took all of us to get here. Mm. Whether we got here because all of us, some of us were chained and beaten to help get us here. It didn't matter. It took all of us to get us here. Mm. It's going to take all of us to get us out of here. It's just like taking a look right now what's going on across the country with this coronavirus. Come on, man. How simple do we have to make this? Take a look at the countries that have won this battle. We are acting like one of the worst third world countries on the planet. Yeah, it's a lack of discipline. That's one thing that I've been trying to highlight. I think that we need to underscore is, you know, every generation of Americans had a level of discipline. And that's really what it comes down to. I mean, there, there's a video that, that I'll play on the show of the Marine saying, look, you got to wear shoes when you go in the supermarket. You got to wear a shirt, wear a fucking mask. Is it too much to ask? Like, be disciplined. And I think helping people understand the long-term impact is, is one thing. But even in the immediate impact, I said last week, wear a mask. Don't kill Norman Lear right? Who's 98 years old, now 98. Don't kill Montel Williams, right? Like don't get you sick. These people who are valuable to our society. But I think there's a core element here I've talked about before, Montel, that that support Trump, that continue to support Trump, that really fall into two groups. A group that really doesn't know, right? Or doesn't want to know, or thinks it's, it's to their personal benefit. Right. It says, you know what, this guy, this guy will benefit me or they've been convinced to that point. But you touched on something that I really wanted to get into, Montel. This is uh, I'm an independent. This is a show for anybody, but especially for politically independent, unaffiliated people. You have been one of the few voices in the media, um, you know, out there publicly that's consistently been a political independent. You used to be a Republican. Right. I think. In, and, and left the Republican Party decades yes. ago. But we're, we're, we're lacking uh, independent voices. But I feel like we are. A, a fan base without a team, right? We're like Seattle sports fans without the Supersonics. Like we're here. Yes. We're waiting for our team. We're waiting for our coach, right? How do you see the, the landscape of independent politics? And and, uh, and 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 you know, you're a guy. Would you ever run? Are there any other independent leaders that you've been impressed by, or you're looking to? I don't. I don't. You know, unfortunately, Paul, and I, and I don't. I'm not saying this in any kind of a racist way. America wouldn't. I think we're we're so divided now as a nation to think of an African-American male standing at the leadership position in this country in the next 20 years, I think is just something that 
Um, I can't envision. Really? I think I cannot envision. I cannot. I think we're mm-hmm. so divided and we are so happy with the fact that we can hate. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's so disgusting. It's, it's part of the, you know, I think the genetic makeup of human beings. I think, you know, our species needs to have something to hate to make themselves feel good enough about living in this existence that we live in. Would you run for Congress or the Senate or governor or something like that? I, I would love to run. I mean, I, I would love to, but I, I just don't think that, that we have the wherewithal as a nation to want to have people who don't look like the majority in a position of authority. Mm. Um, and we see that every day with, you know, the responses from several people who are in the majority that don't want people who are in the minority to be in office. So mm-hmm. I don't, I don't see that changing anytime soon. I would pray that though out of this generation that we have out here right now, that, and there's this, I think there's this false belief that we don't need leaders who are speakers galvanating groups anymore. I don't believe that. I'm sorry. And yes, the protests that are taking place right now have been taking place. And if you notice, it doesn't matter. Black Lives Matter. There's not one person that you can point to that's Martin Luther King of Black Lives Matter. There's not one person you can point to that is out there who is the individual leading all of the revolt across the country when they talk about social equity and other things. There's not that one individual. And some people seem to think that, well, that shows that we don't need one. That's not true. Mm. I think that we do need a a voice. We do need a person or, or a group of people who can step up and say, look, all of your outrage is needed. But let's channel it in this direction. I think that's a really important. I want to. I want to hold on that if I can with you, Montel, because we just, you know, we're recognizing the incredible legacy of John Lewis right now, yes. right? And yes. there are other folks like people were hoping Kaepernick was going to be out there, you know, in front. He's taken his his lane. You know, the Black Lives Matter founders. You don't really see them out there much in the national conversation. I mean, I, I feel a void of leadership, right? I mean, the, even the uh, the Parkland shooting. There were the kids, right? There were these people and the parents that were on Meet the Press. They were out there in the media. You were on the other side, you know, doing booking, doing hosting. You know, why do you think that is? That, that, that there aren't clearly defined leaders. Now, maybe there are and they're not being elevated or maybe it's a different approach where nobody wants to be the leader and everybody wants to be in this kind of, kind of group. But what, what's your breakdown of that? Because I feel there's a void, right? I really I think feel there's like a, there's a need for, for a voice and, and Trump takes advantage of that and it doesn't look like Biden's going to fill it. So, right. so why do you think there isn't a John Lewis or someone like that emerging in the last couple of months? I think, you know, it's a reflection of why Trump is in office. You know, he's a narcissist, Mm. a narcissist who have narcissists who like him. And those narcissists are happy as long as that narcissist gives them license. Mm. So they won't step above themselves. They're still too concerned about just themselves to want to take that position on. In some ways, you know, I mean, you could probably, somebody might say it about me, well, Mata, if you feel so strong, they want you to stick your butt out there and do this. Well, you know, it's because, I don't want to die um, prematurely. And I think that, you know, with, uh, you know, you take a look at the fact that even Dr. Fauci has death threats right now. Come on, man. You know, um, I don't feel like putting myself in a position of my wife or my family in a position that they have to worry about my life. Mm. And, you know, 
am I now on the other side of the generation that that needs to be taking the leadership role? I think I am. I think that there's room right now for that individual or that group of individuals to step up together collectively and say, we are ready to chart a path. You know, it's, it's unbelievable, you know, it's, or, or it's it, to want to go somewhere, to want to move forward somewhere is, is a great idea. But unless you have a map that says, let's do this road, this road, this road, this road, this road, you're never going to get there. Well, as, as military planners, yeah, as military planners, you know, that's where I go, right? And I think, you know, when you look back on the evolution of a couple of movements of the last decade or two, you know, the Tea Party. Remember when the Tea Party took over Congress, sure. right? And then there was Occupy, and Occupy never really squared that circle to elected office. So the question for the movement becomes, and John Lewis is the manifestation of that, right? And, and so many other activists that then became members of Congress and drove a generation of legislation and public policy. Will Black Lives Matter be able to organize enough to take Congress, right? Elected Congress, peaceful Congress, peaceful protest, but an evolution of a political movement that may, you know, it will definitely, it's already changed the Democratic Party, but can it be bigger than that? Can it, can it harness independence? Can it become a, a third party in America? I would love to see independence become a third party. I think that's mm-hmm. one of the most important things that this country needs right now, because we clearly see that, you know, the right and the left, the Democrats and Republicans have gotten so caught up in just being the two-party system and feathering their own part, lining their own pockets, that we need something to break this dam. And I think, though, right on the periphery, I I can't give you a name or two, but I remember looking at the news and saying, you know, there's been a couple of people who have stepped up to the plate across the country and running for local offices around the country. I'm like, where'd that guy come from? Never heard of him before. Mm. Well, it may start breaking through, but that's only if we still have a country after November. Yeah. I mean, let me tell you something. If, if Black Lives Matter and all these groups don't come together and figure out how they can at least demand voter registration and demand that people get out and vote en masse, we may be trying to figure out how we even get to the next election after this one. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. Um, that's a splintering. I mean, the, the if, if George Bush hadn't won and beaten Al Gore, I think you would have seen a splintering of the Republican Party. You would have seen yes. the moderates and and the uh, the Christian right, you know, break apart. Right. And, and now, similarly, if the Democrats, God forbid, blow this right and they do lose, I can't imagine AOC and the squad are going to stay in the same party with Joe Biden and Pete Buttigieg and Amy Klobuchar. Right. Which Trump would be happy to see that the Democrats splinter even further. But, but I think there is a void of leadership that can square that circle and actually run for office. Maybe it'll happen, but I think, I think it cuts to a core of what we're talking about, Montel, is that a lot of people of the younger generation don't see the traditional parties as their, their, their way forward. Um, you know, Correct. older folks, for the most part, are, so many of them are, are stuck in the middle. They're unhappy with both parties. So there's this like 40% plus of the country that's kind of a jump ball. And that's part of why I wanted to found this show. And a lot of them, you know, are united in their concern around certain issues. It could be school shootings. It could be national security. It could be the economy. But they don't see a leader that, that captures that. But there is a, a righteous anger. And that's what this show is partially about, is turning it into positive impact. So I want to ask you the question I ask of everyone, Montel. Montel Williams, what makes you angry? 
What makes me the angriest right now is, you know, the idea and the, the thought that we're about to lose what I and so many others put a uniform on our back for and thought righteously that we were defending a constitution that was a document that was made to actually, I think the constitution was a living document that was made to make sure that it worked perfectly in the times that we're in. But it was a document that I wanted to support because I believe that, you know, when we set about this dream of making this perfect union, if it ever got to fruition, it would be that perfect union on this planet. But what makes me angry right now is that, like you just said, you know, we got probably 30% of this country that at the end of the day, when we take a look at November 2nd, 30% of this country is going to go ahead and vote for Trump, period. Doesn't matter what he does. I don't care if for the next five months he actually does walk out in the street and shoot somebody like he's in Times Square. He'll be, they will vote for him. You got another 30% of this country that's going to literally do everything it can to not vote for him. But then you got another 40% who are going to sit on their ass and go, I don't know. I don't know. And that 40% is what scares me the most. Mm. And that's 40% is what angers me the most. Mm. Because when they wake up on the third, don't talk trash. Mm. Don't wake up on the third and say, oh, I can't believe. No, just believe because you sat on your ass the day before. Mm. Thank you for that. I think that's that's powerful, man. Um, so maybe an issue, this is going to be a bridge into a transition that may or may not sure. make sense. But one of those issues that I think is is a, an increasingly moderate, increasingly populist issue that you've been on the forefront uh, on is cannabis reform. And you and I hooked up in part because we were advocating for cannabis access for, for veterans. And, and I've argued for everyone because I think it's a no-brainer at this point. But that middle has shifted, right? The populism of that has shifted pretty quickly. Maybe only, you know, gay rights has shifted that quickly in my lifetime. Uh, and now maybe the Black Lives Matter movement. But it shifted very quickly. And in part because of so many, you know, decades of advocacy. Somebody told me once advocacy is not a big bang. It's a drumbeat. Right. And that drumbeat kept banging and banging. Eventually it broke through. But where where do you think we are right now on cannabis reform and where do you want to see us go? You know, just for so a lot of your listeners understand, I, I didn't jump aboard cannabis and I'm not saying you did, but I didn't jump aboard cannabis in the last three or five years like a lot of people did. Yeah. A lot of people don't know that I got involved in this cannabis movement back in 2001. When I was told by my own doctor that I needed to get off the opioids that I was on back then and try to do something that would not be as deleterious and harmful to my body as opioids for my pain relief. And I should seek out cannabis. And so since 2001, I've been running around this country trying to ensure that patients have a private conversation with their doctor and nobody else gets in the middle of that. That's been my reason for wanting to force the issue of cannabis. If a doctor can put me on chemotherapy, it's going to burn me from the inside out and nobody has a, a, will open their mouth and say anything about that. Why the heck do you open your mouth and say anything when I'm using cannabis and the same doctor recommended it? And especially, it's so pertinent to today, especially when our own government, your taxpayer dollars during the 90s spent probably around $100 million in research all around the world on cannabis. 
Back in 2002, back in 1998, we filed for a patent and gave ourselves a patent on cannabis. A lot of people don't know that. The United States government owns the patent on CBD Hmm. and has owned it since 2002. Hmm. Are you kidding me? And if you read the abstract, and I'm gonna ask you while we're talking, I'm gonna bring this up on my phone. If you read the abstract in the application for the patent, the US government stated unequivocally what they believed marijuana and cannabis was capable of doing back in 2000. So it's not like. Say that again, Montel. We, we, had a, we had a glitch in the, in the feed there. When was it? 2000 when? Back in 2002, when we gave ourselves the patent. Now, back in the early 90s, we backed a, a doctor out of Israel whose name is Dr. Raphael Meshulam and funded research conducted by him to identify the component parts of, of cannabis and hemp, to identify whether it was medically efficacious, came back after study after study after study proving the medical efficacy of cannabis. Now we're 20 years later and we're still arguing whether or not it works. And we have dumbasses who are senators and congressmen saying, well, there's not proof that marijuana does. We need to do more research. Shut the, you know what up. You already spent every single year through a program at the University of Mississippi. I don't know if you know this, Paul, but do you know that the U.S. government for the last now 40 plus years cannabis to now there's only three surviving members of the program that started we've been literally sending out every single month cannabis marijuana cigarettes to now three more patients it started with 20 but only three of are alive today that are still receiving it and we still send it out through a program at the university of mississippi since when when did that start oh man it started under uh the first bush um and we've been doing this we've been funding research at the university of mississippi yeah Proving the efficaciousness of marijuana. So I, when you ask the question, where is it at? and Where is it going? You know, we're at a place right now where I think it's 37 states and the District of Columbia have now already approved a medical or a adult use cannabis rule. I'm going to write this down. I'll give you, I'm going to give you a number so everybody can look it up. Hmm. On, uh, and, you know, since, sorry. Uh, while you while while you do that, Montel, I mean, I think here's here from a political standpoint, right? Especially in a time like this, like a time like this, there there's an openness to a lot of things, right? Like a couple of months ago, nobody would have let liquor delivery happen at every restaurant in America, right? There's a lot of lot of, lot of relaxation or openness around regulation and rules in a time of combat, right? Like you and I were in the military. There's uniform standards when you're in garrison and when you're in combat, right? And and you make things more flexible because it makes you more effective. I don't think there's been a better time for cannabis reform right now. I think Biden's missing the boat. If I were him, I would would stand up and say every day, you know what? You don't want to come out and vote because you don't like Trump. I will legalize cannabis. I, he, 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 he probably you, he won't did, go. He probably won't. He probably will want to, you know, parse it and say only medicinal. But if he said, you know, legalization or or uh, taking it out of class was a class four, right? Removing it from the classification and pushing harder on that, I think it's actually a unifying issue. They're afraid of it, especially the old guard in politics. But the country's there, and that will change it from schedule one to schedule. I think take it out of the scheduling to yeah, begin right. with. Let me give entirely. You, yeah. Let me give I, you I think I think that's it's, like it's, I think it's a I think it's the equivalent Montel politically of a gun debate. You know when absolutely. when the NRA stands up and says I'm going to take your guns, right? Yep. Or, or the Democrats are going to take your guns. 
What, what I think Biden has not, and the Democrats have an opportunity to do is say, is, yo, uh, Trump's going to take your weed. I won't take your weed. <laughs> I won't take your cannabis. Well, Trump will only take your weed if he, Trump, wait, Trump will only take your weed if Uday and Kuse don't get involved. Right. But you know, he's waiting for Uday and Kuse to get their, get their hands in here so that, you know, he can go ahead and make it another one of the lines that he will make money on. But let me give out the patent number. The patent yeah. number is 6630507. 6630507. This is U.S. patent 6630507 titled cannabinoids as antioxidants and neuroprotectants. This was awarded by the Department of Health and Human Services back in October of 2003. Folks, look up that patent number. You can Google it right now yourself and read under something that's called, you know, read in the, um, the whole patent application. And here, wait a minute. There's, a, there's an area that's called the abstracts. And that area of the abstracts talks about the fact that cannabinoids have been found and discovered to be neuroprotectants. So does and have antioxidant effect? And recently, there's been a double-blind study, peer-reviewed document written in JAMA, talking about the fact that CBD and THC, but CBD, since people, some people don't want to seem to think that THC is okay, but CBD, THCA, are more powerful antioxidants and, and anti-inflammatories than any anti-inflammatory we have in the marketplace. And CBD may prove to be a beneficial anti-inflammatory during COVID. This was recently published. Yep. Well, oh, I, you, I mean, you, you, come on. You may, you know, each show I put an Easter egg uh, sign over my back here in, in the garage at our undisclosed location. And uh, this week, I, I kind of almost ran out of letters on this one, but I just put hydroxychloroquine equals bad because gotcha. many people now know, you know, the FDA came out again and said hydroxychloroquine does not prove to be useful in, in, in combating COVID-19. Trump and Secretary Wilkie and others have been testing hydroxychloroquine on dying veterans, knowing that it doesn't work. They've been lying about it. And at the same time, you know, there could be impacts from cannabis and so many other things that are scientifically supported that they're not talking about. So I think it's, right. it's, it's upside down world, but I think it's a really, it's a good time to have this conversation with you because you've been on the front lines of many of these medical arguments, not just the science, but making the case and from personal experience. And that's when I saw it impacted uh, my, my world the most is when I had friends who lost limbs in Iraq and Afghanistan who said, you know what, this provides me pain relief or people who are, who are struggling with ca cancer from burn pits and said, this may makes me feel better. I said, look, if you've got a 19-year-old who you've trusted with a million-dollar tank and America's foreign policy and a language he or she doesn't understand, I think you can trust them with cannabis when they get home, right? Like you can Absolutely. trust them with, with, with a medical uh, a solution that works for them. But I want to shift because I think, you know, this, this is, uh, I'm glad we're getting into this, Montel. You bring positivity. You have done that throughout your career. Your show did that for decades. I feel like I grew up watching your show and many other folks felt the same. But I want to ask you a question I ask of all our guests again, Montel. Montel Williams, what makes you happy? My wife. <laughs> mm. um, who has been a stalwart in my life? Mm. Uh, literally, She's got me through some probably of the darkest times. You know, I don't know if you know this or not, but two years ago, well, no, it was three years ago now, um, this month. Yeah, th no, two, yeah, three years ago this last month, I suffered a major hemorrhagic stroke um, that literally put me in the hospital for almost a full month 
almost died. I checked out, almost checked out a couple of times. And were it not for her really hand on me that entire time, she spent every day in the hospital with me. She slept there in the hospital with me in a cot right beside my bed. Broke, mm. messed her back up. You know, uh, I wouldn't be here today. Mm. So that's what makes me happy. So I want to just we'll go back one more second with the point that we're making about cannabis. Right now, we know that there are more people who have turned to cannabis during this COVID lockdown than have turned to alcohol. There are people who are turning away from alcohol and getting more and more cannabis delivered. So you're absolutely right. I think if, if Joe Biden would just stop for a second and have a conversation, a real conversation with people, rather than the conversation that he's been having with some of the people that are around him, he would understand that there is no reason why he shouldn't say, I will make sure that cannabis is available and made part of your life if you want it to be. Mm. I think that would get him elected just like that. Montel, you real conversation has been what you've, you've been all about for your whole career. There are a lot of folks who listen to the show, and especially in this moment, who are grinding it out. You know, for many folks, it feels like Groundhog Day. This, for many folks, is the hardest thing they've ever experienced in their life. We're, we're trying to be unified. We're trying to be positive. You're a man who's you know, I'm, I'm glad you brought up, you know, the, the, the stroke, the near stroke, a couple of, uh, was it, it was an actual stroke or a near stroke? Oh, no, dude. I had a, a fully blown cat, uh, category four, category three. I remember, I remember because I, I was DMing you, being like, hey, man, I haven't heard from you in a while. Where are right. you? And then your right. colleague came on and said, oh, you don't know. He's, hot. he's in the hospital. He's sick. So I, I, you know, followed that journey of yours, which is another, you know, triumph over adversity. That's been a lot of what your life is about. And you've inspired so many people. So what's your message to people right now? Maybe they're listening to the show. Maybe they had a shitty day, shitty month, shitty year, or they're just grinding it out. You know, you've been through the ups and downs. Can, can you share with them any insight or inspiration from your life that might serve them well? You know, I, I realized myself in the last, you know, really the last 30 days that I, no matter what, man, I try my best to always be a person who sees the world half full, the glass half full. I'll never see it half empty, ever. It's mm. always half full. Even when I want to try to get myself into a depression, it's half full. I can't do it any other way. And I do that, and I believe that because I've also believed something since I was a small child. I alone own the definition of who I am. Mm. No one else can define me but me. I have the capability, you know, if I believed all the bull crap that people have said about me being a kid born in the ghetto, I should be dead or in jail. I believe all the crap that people said about me of, of African-American male who supposedly does the worst with MS than anybody else, then I should be dead. Mm. If I believed all the crap that everybody else had to say about me, I wouldn't be me. I believe that I'm capable of doing whatever I set my mind to. As long as I can get the education and get the, get the information I need to be able to support it, I can get it done. I mean, Paul, like right now, I'm working on, you know, I'm working on one initiative that I've been working on this initiative for 10 years now, the PONS device, a portable neuromodulation device to help relieve people of symptoms of traumatic brain injury and MS and other neurological disease. I'm working on another initiative with a doctor that I found out who has the number one protocol right now in the world for PTSD and not just combat PTSD, but he works on childhood PTSD, everything from, you know, child trauma to rape and to car accidents and to, to he, as a matter of fact, the, the protocol he's been using has been used by New York State and by Albuquerque, New Mexico for uh, helping first responders. And it is, has a 90% efficacy rate. I'm working on that right now. I literally in the last three weeks have been involved in a process right now because I have a very close friend of mine who is getting ready to manufacture, getting ready to build, build a factory in Salt Lake City area that produces KM 
N95 mask and will produce it here in the United States made from all 100% U.S. component made parts. And in our discussions, I've been trying to convince them that when they employ people, they employ veterans. Okay? I'm working on... Um, uh, You're working on a lot of stuff, man. You're always I'm working. working on a lot of stuff. I think, I think that's, that's part of it. Yeah. That's part of why I love being around you because you're a hardworking man and, and you, you keep it real. You, you know, you look out for others. You've been a really powerful voice too for so many communities that needed a voice. And you have been ahead of the curve on, on many things. On MS, you've been out there. On cannabis, you've been out there. On veterans issues, you were out there, you know, long before it was popular and, and, and easy to do. And I'm grateful for you for that. Oh, and you, just sir. the positivity. And, and it, you know, it's hard to put yourself out there. And you've been putting your own personal story out there in a very powerful way. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. And uh, I have gifts for you as a part oh, of my expression you, of that gratitude. Since you said made by veterans, I got some angry Americans uh, merch coming your way, like the one I'm wearing here. But Yay. Some super comfortable Angry Americans merch. I've actually got a Go Navy shirt that I can get you to, which breaks my heart. <laughs> breaks my yeah. heart. But I'll, but I'll send it to you anyway. Great. Uh, got some stuff coming from you from, from Bravo Sierra, which is a, another supporter of this show. It's hard to see on the screen. There we go. Bravo Sierra. Um, got it. They, they make deodorant and, and antibacterial wipes. Uh, they support veterans, give back. So I want to send you some of that. And then um, per our earlier discussion, I'm going to send you some Uncle Neil's, <laughs> 1884. Hey. It's not scotch, um, but it's small batch whiskey in America. Uh, the legacy of Nearest Green, who was the former slave who taught Jack Daniels how yes. to make whiskey. Yes. Great story and great stuff that if you can't drink it, you can share it, give it to your wife. or You know what I'll else. do? I, I will, I'll guarantee you I'll take one big shot of that for sure, my <laughs> friend. And then lastly... Maybe for after you, you experience a little cannabis. Um, we have a, an ongoing discussion and, and debate about <laughs> peeps. This started early. I ask every guest, if you had to pick one color of peeps, this is our Rorschach test of the show. Montel Williams, yellow, pink, or blue? Which color of peeps would you choose and why? Dude, I grew up on, you know, I don't know, maybe the, 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 the yellow or the cheaper version. I don't know. But when I was a child, my mom used to make sure there were peeps always in our Easter basket and they were always yellow. So yeah, I definitely would pick the yellow one. It's a yellow, classic, right? Yeah. The classic peep, my friend, Sarah, Jessica Parker. Thank you the, so much. Call them the OG of peeps. And they, they are. <laughs> that's a fact. Yep, they are. It's probably got some weird, you know, yellow dye 30 in it or something, but who knows? Who cares? If anybody can find out, I think it'll be you. <laughs> there you go. There you but go. I, I am, I'm grateful for your leadership, your friendship, your inspiration, your patriotism, um, you know, you, you're really, really an incredible leader and I'm grateful for all the support you've given me and so many causes I care about. Uh, thank you for joining me on this show, my friend. It's been a well, real thank pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for having me, man. And I hope that your listeners, you know, again, look up that, that patent just in case anybody questions whether or not you and I are on the right path when it comes to cannabis recommendations, but look up the patent and you yourself will understand why it's so important that it's part of our, our really our basic genetic makeup. Well, and, and if, uh, if America, you know, basically invented the internet, you know, we could own cannabis and, and we could be on the front lines of COVID. This is, you know, uh, uh, General Petraeus has been a supporter of mine for a long time and, and, and uh, taught me a lot. And he always says, you know, every crisis has opportunity. And this is a crisis Absolutely. that has an opportunity for America, but it's going to be leadership and leadership like you and so many. I'm glad we got into that today, but it's leadership that's always defined America. And it's what we need now. And anybody listening can look to you for an example of what leadership looks like, my friend. Thank you, sir. And when you reach out to General Petraeus next time, tell him I said hi. 
he actually got me, uh, really sponsored a trip for me to go to Afghanistan and visit the troops. I had dinner with him at his war desk in Afghanistan and then utilized his plane to jump around to several different bases just to go out and help motivate the troops over there. And uh, that's a time in my life that I will never forget. Shit. Well, that, that's a great story, man. And thank you for sharing that. Thank you for all you do. The great and powerful Montel Williams. Stay frosty, my friend. You too, my friend. Stay well. Go Army. Be Navy. <laughs> Not going to happen this year. <laughs> There's plenty of reason to be angry now for everyone everywhere. But if you have the discipline, there's a way to turn it a way to channel it, a way to harness it, and always a way to make an impact. Just like Montel has done his whole life, it's time to turn that anger into positive impact. It's time to be a helper. Always look for the helpers. There will always be helpers, you know, even just on the sidelines. Because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. And every show... I offer a way of converting your righteous, understandable anger into positive action. A positive action that requires discipline, but shows that angry Americans can also be impactful Americans. An action that channels that energy, makes you feel good, and makes a difference. And like this show, our actions are always packed with the four I's. Integrity, information, impact, and inspiration. During World War II, General Dwight D. Eisenhower had a general of his that threatened to ban Stars and Stripes from his command because he didn't like how a cartoonist had ridiculed his decree that all soldiers, even those in combat, be clean-shaven at all times. But Eisenhower said, Stars and Stripes is the soldier's paper, and we won't interfere. Recently, retired Army General and former CIA Director David Petraeus called it the hometown newspaper of the U.S. military. The sole mission of Stars and Stripes is to provide firsthand reporting from bases around the world and unbiased, credible reporting to America's military. Although part of the DOD, Stars and Stripes earns most of its operating budget. And that's an important part of being independent and free of censorship. And also, why readers' support is so vital. But right now, the Department of Defense and Secretary Esper and Trump are trying to silence free press everywhere they can. And that includes Stars and Stripes. It's on the chopping block right now. You can help push back. Call your member of Congress and tell them to defend Stars and Stripes. I don't care what party they're from or what party you're from. You should understand and appreciate that Stars and Stripes has always had the discipline to defend our First Amendment values, to support our military and our civilian population by telling the truth. They are a valuable American institution and they must be protected. Call your member of Congress today and tell them to defend Stars and Stripes. And there's more you can do. If you value Stars and Stripes, you can support their mission by becoming a subscriber. Go to stripes.com backslash subscribe. And you can donate to become a supporter, a subscriber of Stars and Stripes, or you can gift a subscription to somebody you know. And depending upon your donation, you'll get one of the following very unique gifts. $5 gets you a U.S. Constitution booklet with a Bill of Rights. 
10 bucks gets you a Stars and Stripes 4GB retractable flash drive. Interesting. 35 bucks gets you these 21 about the trial of Nazi war criminals. 50 bucks gets you a travel mug and one year unlimited digital access. And 100 bucks gets you serving in Iraq and a one year unlimited digital access. The sole mission of Stripes is to provide firsthand reporting to and from the military. Help support this mission and fight back against censorship of the press. Your support is especially important downrange, where service members often have no other source of independent news, and where Stars and Stripes still supplies a daily paper seven days a week. Think of it this way. Every dollar you spend is an investment in providing our military men and women with a trustworthy source of news and information, and it might be the only source they get. So subscribe, contribute, and support Stars and Stripes on social media. Every bit counts. The defense of America requires discipline of all kinds, and that includes the discipline that Stars and Stripes provides. Be a helper, support the helpers, and support America's free press. Support Stars and Stripes. And if you get a story to tell or a resource to share, find me on social media and use the hashtag AngryAmericans and let me know. Together, we can continue to take action. Don't stop now and don't just be angry. Be active. Discipline is the difference maker and a lot of discipline that goes into making every episode happen. And this one has been no exception. First, I want to thank Montel Williams. Follow him on Twitter. Check out MontelWilliams.com. You can check out his Montel by Select CBD products. And you can check out his podcast, Let's Be Blunt, which explores the intersection of cannabis, activism, health, and wellness. But Montel is a huge patriot, and I'm grateful for his support and his friendship. Check him out. And my thanks to him, Jonathan, and his entire team for making this show happen. Lots of other disciplined folks, especially the Righteous Media team. Righteous Media continues to power angry Americans with other cool projects on the way. And it's the discipline of our team that makes it happen, including Mighty Mercy Rich, creative Chris Rosenthal, and brilliant Bill Schultz. Discipline is also required to make amazing whiskey, so I want to thank our friends at Uncle Nearest. You've heard about Uncle Nearest on this show. Making premium whiskey requires tremendous discipline, and that's why Uncle Nearest has been rewarded handsomely. They received the World Whiskey's Award of World's Best in 2019. They also got a double gold for the Wine and Spirits Award for their small batch whiskey, but check out their premium aged 1856 whiskey or their 1884 for small batch whiskey, go to unclenearest.com. It is amazing stuff. They are the most awarded American whiskey or bourbon of 2019 and 2020. Requires tremendous discipline, and they've got it. Great story, great product, great team. It's the best whiskey maker the world never knew. Made here in America. Check them out on social media or go to unclenearest.com. I also want to thank the Hot Dish Podcast, which is produced by One Country Project. It's a group that's focused on reopening the dialogue with rural communities, rebuilding trust and respect, and advancing opportunities for rural Americans. And I joined them recently on their podcast. One Country Project is run by Heidi Heidkamp. She's a former U.S. Senator from North Dakota. And my friend Joe Donnelly, the former Senator from Indiana. He was in the Senate from 2012 to 2019, and he is the host of the this show and had me on his podcast this week. So my thanks to the team at The Hot Dish. Check them out anywhere you get your podcasts. 
And wherever you got this podcast, you can find out more about our Patreon membership. And my thanks to all our awesome Patreon members, especially our newest members, Michael DeStefano Jr., my old friend Koshin Jim Colley, who just joined, and Jay Bruner. Uh, Jay, I don't know your first name, but I know the initial is Jay. I want to welcome all three of you to the Patreon membership. If you're not already hooked in, check out our Patreon membership now. You can go to Patreon or find the link on this site. You can support this show, get exclusive content, get free cool stuff, and you will keep this show going. It's your discipline that helps keep our discipline going. And I'm always grateful for people listening, and I want to thank a few of our angry Americans just for tuning in right now. And you know the deal. I'll make you famous. Give me a call, and I'll make you famous. You can call, tweet, or post on social, and I will make you famous. And always, we want to hear from you. We do have a hotline. It's 833-33-ANGRY, 833-33-ANGRY. You can leave us a message, and maybe we'll play it on this show and make you famous. Go ahead and do it. Seriously, do it. Do it. Do it. Do it like my friend Delfino Sanchez. Delfino Sanchez gave us a call again from Aldine Tree Services in Houston. They do stump grinding. I love this guy. I love his team. And Delfino left us this great voicemail. Hi, Paul. This is Delfino Sanchez with Aldine Tree Service, Houston Stump Grinding. I'm angry because no all news follow your four eyes. Integrity, inspiration, information, and impact. I'm happy every time I hear the right on the stone play in your podcast. And I'm angry, and I'm sad and angry because we lost the great Jimmy Morrison too soon. I'm also happy to see the Righteous Media YouTube channel is now over a thousand subscribers. Okay, listeners, we're looking for the helpers. Your homework is tell your friends about Angry Americans Righteous Media YouTube channel and how much they benefit you for us. Open subscribing. This is Delfino sign off and reminding everyone to stay frosty. Check out AldineTreeServices.com. If you know anybody in Texas or if you just want to spread the word about a locally owned business that kicks ass, they are a Houston tree company that served the community since 2001. Family owned. They work in the Woodlands, Bel Air, Sugarland, uh, Jersey Village, Stanford, Tomball, Fort Bend, all around Harris County uh, and in the Houston, Texas area. And my friend Delfino tweeted. He said he also loved the Norman Lear episode and he's officially the first person on the show to say he had a Model T in the car question. Amazing answer to the question. Norman Lear episode continues to get incredible feedback. Want to again wish Norman Lear an amazing birthday and thank him for listening and for tweeting. And thanks to all of you who checked that episode out. Also want to shout out to my friend Pierce North. My friend Pierce lives in upstate New York with his beautiful wife, Karen, and his two amazing daughters, Delilah and Delphine, and they've got chickens and a new puppy, and we've been friends for a while and got to hang out this week, and I didn't realize it, but he told me he often listens to this pod on his long bike rides. So my man Pierce, thanks for tuning in, and thanks for an awesome night with our families last weekend. Appreciate you tuning in. Everybody else, keep the feedback coming. Use the hashtag AngryAmericans and sound off. I'm grateful to all of you. I dig it. I love it. 
And, of course, I love my family, my amazing wife, and my two boys. Want to give them a big thank you. I told you that the robin's eggs outside our window have hatched. They are still in the nest. Now, sadly, there are only two now. But they are growing, and they are hungry, and they are amazing. And there's lots of nature happening, lots of swimming. We have a regular creek nearby that we swim in. It's a great swimming hole. And this week, we saw something else that was amazing. Two bald eagles. Two bald eagles, as we're swimming in the creek, came swooping down past us. It was a really, really cool and awesome scene. Also cool and awesome, we got a slip and slide. Highly recommended. My ass hurts, but it's absolutely worth it. They're back ordered on Amazon, just so you know. But get yourself a slip and slide. Even if you have to put it through the living room, do it. It's worth it. It's amazing. Uh, also, speaking of amazing, my son's fifth birthday is coming up in a few weeks. It is pandemic, so that's unusual. And I want ideas. You got any ideas, any suggestions whatsoever, fire away. Use the hashtag Angry Americans. Let me know what you suggest for my son's fifth birthday. And please continue to give me the gift of telling your friends to check this podcast out. Have the discipline. If you're on an Apple device, just leave the show a very quick review. That's all I ask. And subscribe now and share it. And we will have it hot and fresh and waiting for you every Thursday. We try to keep that discipline. We try to keep our head down and focus and make it happen every single Thursday. I remember yesterday. And definitely keep the feedback coming on social media. I see you. I hear you. I'm with you. And tell me who you want to hear on this show. Tell me what you want to hear about. Send your suggestions about helpers, about assholes, about angry action. And go to angryamericans.us, sign up for our newsletter, and check out our YouTube page. We've now got over 1,000 subscribers. Pretty cool. Lots of great content, highlight videos, first car answers, and the complete interview of this show with Montel Williams and every other show I've done. You can watch the entire interview on YouTube in high definition. You can check out the car. You can check out my guest house. You can see inside Montel's uh, humble abode in Miami. But we're continuing to adapt, improvise, and overcome during the pandemic. So stay tuned, subscribe for free, and share. And we're going to keep this movement growing week by week by week. stranger was your brother now, I've told you before, I love Radio Woodstock. They play really good stuff, and they play a few songs, pretty open songs, that are becoming the soundtrack of the summer for me. And they've played the great Michael Franti song that I've played. They play a song by Camp that I love, and they play this. It's Devin Gillifan. He's a Nashville-based soul and R&B artist, and this is off his debut album, Black Hole Rainbow. He grew up in Philly on a steady diet of R&B, hip-hop, rock, blues, and soul, and he gravitated to records that ignited his mind and made his body move. Growing up, he listened to the towering icons of his father's era, Ray Charles, Stevie Wonder, Otis Redding, and The Temptations, and he was formed by the new discoveries of his own generation, the beats and rhymes that made rising stars like Wu-Tang Clan, Kanye, Biggie, and Jay-Z. They all inspired him in new ways, and he began to recognize a connective thread in the sounds he loved. From the golden throwbacks sampled by hip-hop beat makers to the raw emotional vocal deliveries of the Motown greats. For Devin, 
the great ingredient seemed to be the soul. Not simply the genre, but the feeling and the vibe. And that's what his music is all about, the feeling and the vibe. And that's what this song is about, because he's a helper. And he even created a fund based on this song. The Good Life Fund exists to spread the message of this song. It's about empowerment, positivity, and hope for all people. And he supports organizations like the Equity Alliance that advocates for African-Americans and communities of color to use their voting power as a weapon in the fight for social justice. He supports the Give a Note Foundation, created to bring awareness to the importance of music education and to grow, nurture, and strengthen music education for every student and rebuilding together which rebuilds, restores, and repairs homes in the Nashville area. And Devin says these organizations represent much of what this song is about. And this song is about the message of the good life. It's okay to be angry, especially now. And no, you're not alone because we're all a little angry, and that's because we're paying attention. But we can also live a little bit of the good life. It's the reward for all that discipline. And it's part of summer. So don't let the news of the pandemic get you down. Keep the faith, find the light, and keep looking for the good life. We got to act, a love attack. Take your mind back in time. Rewind and Eden. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thanks for listening. Please wear a mask, do it for Montel, and do it for that good life. That good life. Stay vigilant, America, and stay frosty. All the colors show us what it really means To be beautiful I'm talking about that good life